Hey all, in this episode of Dudes of Kung Fu, Alex and Big Sean discuss Buji as it's taught in Wing Chun, as well as how it's taught in Ji Kune Do. What, what does it mean in JKD and what does it mean in Wing Chun? How do they compare and contrast? Um, we also discuss the iron palm training and give our opinions on it. Not that our opinions mean anything, but, you know, we figured you guys would be interested in hearing about it. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Dudes of Kung Fu. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of... Dudes of Kung Fu. Outstanding. How are you, my friend Alex? Good, good. It feels like I haven't been here for a very long time. Yeah, I know. It's funny because every Friday night I'm sitting here and I'm looking at the fucking screen and it's blank. And I'm talking (laughs) and I'm talking and I'm talking. And it's usually like every other Friday night when we're recording. And I'm like, you know, but there's no good looking Alex sitting on the other side. So what happens to those solo recordings? By the way? Well, you got to pay a fucking fee to see those shits. You know? I, I, I'm sure. I'm sure our fans would be really into that. Those like the, the odd Sean only podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you, you know, have, both both uh, conversation. You, you are both parties of the conversation by yourself. <laughs> trust me, I've had some of those shit on the way home from work. Man, I'm in the car and I'm fucking having the best argument in the world with myself. And I'm pissing myself off in in only a way that I can, you know? Sure, sure, sure. Well, you know, they say that talking to yourself is actually a sign of mental health. I I think it's really just when you start arguing loudly with yourself that there's a problem. There you go. Hey, you know what? We got a uh, suggestion on the uh, the inbox. Uh Uh-oh. They said that we should... And I, I should have talked to you about this before. That we should introduce ourselves... At the start of each podcast, because there may be people listening to the podcast for the first time. So just quickly say, oh, I'm Sean Madigan, and Alex Richter's on the other side of the thing, and that's who we are. If you don't know who that is, just fucking Google us. But- yeah, but I'm, I'm, also, I'm also curious who, who would find, like, Dudes of Kung Fu and then not read at least a little bit of the description and have kind of half of an idea, like, who we are. And there's also this amazing uh, resource called Google. So, uh, you know, and I also think that it's really only the same eight people who listen to our podcast every week anyway. So (laughs) I'm not too concerned that they don't really know who we are. (laughs) If they are, they're downloading it a lot. We're at like 15,000 now. So Wow, uh, that's really incredible. That's amazing. It's it's coming along. uh, We're we're growing nicely. How's your your class going? Are you still teaching? Uh, Very little. You know, I only have my private students. And, um, in fact, we're getting ready for our big... uh, our big meeting in March, we're going to have the guys coming in from all over. They shots to go trying to fly in from uh, Canada. We have the guys coming in from Boston. I have guys coming in from other places that are looking to uh, kind of join the big JKD family. And we're going to get together in March and have a nice uh, nice little training. And we, we, we kind of, we were calling it, we're gonna, it's going to be more like a pizza party with some cheese hats thrown in. <laughs> A JKD pizza party. Right, yeah. <laughs> just, just like Bruce always had, right? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you know, I'm, uh, I'm large and in charge, you know, so everything we do is going to be involving some sort of food intake. So hey. you're definitely going to have some pizza and some, some barbecues and some cheese salads and footwork. It's going to be a lot of fun. Very cool, very cool. Oh, and by the way, uh, happy Chinese New Year. We're right in that time of year again where we're now in the year of the rooster. Or the year of the cock. No, no, no. You call it a rooster, please. <laughs> 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 what, 
what is your what is your Chinese zodiac sign? How would I know? You don't know your Chinese zodiac sign, and you do kung fu. What kind of what kind you know of what? dude of I've kung actually, fu are you? I've actually looked it up in the past, and I'm not exactly sure what I am. Yeah, I, uh, so you've you've forgotten it, or <laughs> you know, I've been punched in the head a lot, dude. So let's see, Chinese zodiac sign. Uh huh. So are What's you doing your neck? Uh, I, I'm I'm fucking googling it right now. Yeah, what year were you born? <laughs> 1965. Wow, do they even have the Chinese zodiac? Back oh, then? shut up. I'm not that old, you jerk. Oh, my God. I was born the year of the snake. Do you want to know something crazy? I'm, okay. also, I'm also a snake. Really? Yes. I'm, so, what are you, 77 or 89? 70, 77. It's every 12 years. Okay, 79. Born in 89, Jeebus. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're both a year and a snake. How cool That's is that? Right. That's right. Well, it's kind of uncool because it means we're both one year off from having been born in the year of the dragon. Dragon, yeah. Because the year of the dragon <laughs> is the previous year. If I was born in 76, damn it, I would have been a dragon, but I'm a snake. <laughs> I think, you know, it's funny. I think that's why I don't remember, the, didn't remember the animal. I think I checked to see if I was born in the year of the dragon. When I found out I was, I was like, ah, fuck it. <laughs> oh, damn it. Who cares? Well, the, Dude, the dragon, of, of all the 12 zodiac signs, the dragon is the most revered of all of them. And it is the only one that is actually a, a mythical creature on there. All the other ones are, are, are normal animals. So uh, right. uh, <clears throat> Bruce Lee, obviously, 1940, was born in the year of the dragon. And so, uh, you know, that, that's why he had the nickname Siulong, Little Dragon. Um, so, yeah, being a snake is always a tough thing. It's like, oh, one year off from being a dragon, man. <laughs> you know, it's funny. My first experience with uh, Chinese New Year was when I first started teaching uh, martial arts. And um, I really, I was brand new. I was brand spanking new to, to teaching. And uh, I didn't know much about Chinese tradition or anything to that fact. I trained in a, I had learned martial arts in a Jeet Kune Do school where there was almost zero to speak of Chinese traditions or sure. Chinese terminology, anything. It was, it was a pretty bad school. Um, I'm kidding. Um, and um, so I'm teaching for a little while. And one night, there's no class one night. I was teaching out of my house in Brooklyn. And um, the doorbell rings. And I go to the door, and there's one of my guys there, a Chinese fellow. I won't say his name, but... Um, and he had been training with me for like seven or eight months. He was training with me for a long time. And uh, so I answered the door. I'm like, hey, dude, what's going on? We don't have class tonight. And he looks at me and he says, you know, gong hai fa choi. Does a short little bow and hands me a bag of oranges. <laughs> and, you were and I said, thank you. What the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the nicest thing you can do for Chinese New Year. <laughs> and I was like, he goes, it's Chinese New Year. And I said, man, I had no idea. And I'm like, but what's with the oranges, you know? <laughs> so, you know, and so he came in and he kind of told me about it a little bit. And it was my first, like, um, learning experience with, uh, with the Chinese tradition, I would say. And it was, it was, yeah. it was actually very cool. That is cool. Hey, actually, been student for a long time. Yeah, the Ch- Chinese students are always really great with that stuff. Chinese New Year's, uh, it's very different from the Western New Year because the celebration goes on, um, you know, for oftentimes a couple couple weeks and and you have to visit family and friends and everyone gets gifts and all the unmarried people get the the lacy which is the little the little envelope with some money in it so when when you're around a lot of chinese or you're in hong kong and you are married and you regularly see unmarried people friends whatever you have to have a pocket full of these lacy's lined with money that you give as gifts so it's actually funny one one year ago 
uh, the last Chinese New Year I was in Hong Kong, I was spending Chinese New Year with uh, Sifu Chan Chi Man and uh, uh, my Sibat Leon Tim, and we had a it was beautiful. That was actually the first time I met Sifu Chan Chi Man face to face was during the Chinese New Year, and um, that was really amazing. He's super super cool guy, and uh, I can't wait to go back to Hong Kong and, and see him again. Uh, I'll probably be going back to Hong Kong around April. And then uh, I'll be going later this year for for my big project. So I'll probably be there like two, three times this year. And I'm always excited about going to Hong Kong because it is my absolute favorite place on this earth. I love the city. I love the people there, the energy, everything. And uh, really hope one day I can can bring you there, Sean, and and show you how – how fun, how fun it is and interesting and weird and, 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 and cool all at the same time. Yeah, I, mean, I would love to go to, to uh, Hong Kong. And I'm excited about you going to uh, Hong Kong this year also because now I'm close enough with you to give you a fucking shopping list. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And, 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 you know, as, as most people may or may not know, uh, we we don't even record these podcasts in the same room. You're all the way in Staten Island. I'm here in, in Midtown all Manhattan. In all the way in Staten Island. <laughs> all the way in Staten Island. I, I, as if, like, you had to take a fucking – oh, wait, you do have to take a ferry. Yeah, you do have to take a <laughs> is, is there a subway that goes to Staten Island? No. <laughs> no, and we do that on purpose. <laughs> so is it really part of New York? I don't know. It's like kind of – I kind of look at it like there's Staten Island, and then there's the other boroughs that we let like associate with us. Yeah, <laughs> that's not how the rest of us look at it. Just so that you know. Uh, anyway, I'll, I know. I'll, we, we've we've convinced you people to be happy. I, with I, you I'll, got. I'll tell you a funny story about Staten Island. One of my kung fu brothers. So when I was training in Germany many years ago, uh, I was I was the only American who trained full time at Langenthal Castle in Germany. It was like me. Most obviously, most of the people who were training there were German, and you had a couple like Italians. There was like a French guy. There's always some obligatory French guy everywhere you go. And, uh, and, and that was it. And there were these two Norwegians who trained at the castle. And they were really good friends of mine. We were very close in age. And they started a little bit after me, but um, they lived next door to me. And we trained together every day. They spoke perfect English. And um, we were really close. So after we would train for six hours a day, we would go home. We would review what we practiced. We would talk about Wing Chun nonstop. And, uh, you know. And uh, like I said, there was two of them. One of them was like me. After training, we would we would review all the stuff, work out, train, do all that kind of stuff. And the other one, he was a little bit more of a partier. And he would, you know, after class, he would, uh, you know, he'd take a shower. He'd kind of, you know, he'd get ready, put his nice clothes on, and he'd go into the city and go drinking and cavorting with women. And, you know, he'd go out and party. He was definitely like, of all of us, he was the cool one, right? We were like right. the total geeks, right? So he would often come back with crazy stories. Like, you know, sometimes he would get a little sauced and he'd end up getting in fights and so on and so forth. But anyway, of, of the two Norwegians, Jurgen was the one who liked to drink. So long story short, many years ago, this is after I came back from the castle, Jurgen uh, went back to Norway he was teaching Wing Chun a little bit, but not seriously. He, I get a phone call. This is maybe 2007, and um, it was Jurgen, and it was like 8 p.m. New York time, which is very early in the morning in Norway, right? So, like, for right. Jurgen to call me at like 8 p.m., it's like he he's out uh, pretty late in Norway, right? And I could tell, uh, you know, because I know my kung fu brother really well, I could tell he was really drunk, and he goes, uh, "Alex, I need you." settle a bet for me right he liked to gamble a little bit and he didn't always win and he goes is there a bridge 
from Staten Island to Manhattan? And I go, no, there's only a bridge from Staten Island to, uh, to Brooklyn. And then obviously there's, there's one to, uh, to New Jersey or whatever. And he just goes, damn it. Shit. And, and, then, <laughs> and then I can realize he had just lost a lot of money. Oh, like, oh man, I just lost a lot of money. He's like, ah, oh, but thanks for clearing it up. And then he hangs it up on the phone. And that was the last time I ever heard of my Kung Fu brother, Yuri, <laughs> over 10 years ago. But very typical, very, very funny. So, yeah, the, when, when I, I think about Staten Island, I, I often think about that random phone call I got at 7 p.m. So. Yeah, well, you know, I'm actually a Brooklyn kid myself. I actually grew up in Brooklyn. I didn't move out to Staten Island until I was, a, uh, until I was uh, living the adult life. And, yeah, what, um, the, what the hell made you move over to Staten Island anyway? I mean, who decides they're going to, like, who makes the conscious decision? Like, dude, okay. You live in Queens. You live, live in fucking Queens. So, I mean. So, what, what are you saying about Queens? I, I, I can be a Midtown Queens man. Queens is the fucking toilet of, of, of New York City. The toilet of New York City? What are you talking about? Have you been when the rest Queens? of the city needs to sit down and take a shit, <laughs> the shit fucking goes to Queens. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Of we all we the collected fire, garbage. Of all the guys, five girls, which one used to be a garbage dump? Okay, that was Staten Island. Don't talk to me about Queens. <laughs> when I was a kid in Brooklyn, man, I thought like Staten Island was going out to the country. It yes. was like, holy shit. I remember as a kid, we had to go to a wedding on Staten Island. And, you know, we were, Bro- we were Brooklyn people. And I remember going over the bridge and seeing like trees and shit and be like, Wow, where the fuck are we? <laughs> it's like sending a kid with the fresh air fund, right? It's like, just send him to Staten Island. <laughs> I thought, man, Staten Island was like no land. It was crazy. Sure, 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 but sure. Yeah, oh. we, we, we had to move out here. It's, you know, um, parts of Brooklyn were getting bad. Right. And right. I, I had young kids, and I remember one time, real quick story, just to give people that, from, that aren't from New York City, what a glimpse of, like, New York City life could be like a little bit back in the 90s. Uh, I was living in Brooklyn, and um, I had uh, two small kids. And uh, one night, I'm laying in bed <laughs> with my wife. And next thing you know, we hear, like, um, some gunshots. Bang, 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 you know? Oh, my God, Sean. Oh, my God. You totally told this story already. <laughs> I did? Oh, forget yes. it. <laughs> We've, we've come to that part in our podcast where we're just recycling old stories. <laughs> That's bad. Oh, shit. Well, let's let's move forward with some well, wing So I moved, stuff. so I didn't get fucking shot. <laughs> yeah, that never happens in Queens, so. Uh, yeah. Oh, so I'm anyway, Jamaica. this weekend is also uh, that the famous martial arts convention in Atlantic City, the Hall of Fame. All right, the, 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 the subtitles are there, but for the grace of God, go I convention, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, I know a lot of people who go to those things, and, you Me know, too. it's it's great networking for some people. Sure. Um, you know, and I always get invited to that, and it, it's, I, I'm usually kind of too busy doing other things, and also the thing is that most of the people who, are, who go to that, like, let's say the the celebrities that, they, that that get paid to go to those things, which is the reason mm-hmm. why people go. I mean, the ones that I, I'm actually very interested in, I actually know them personally. So I have really right. kind of no reason to go there to see people that I have their phone number in my phone. You know, if I want to see them, I can call them, hang out with them or whatever. But it's also like a really weird scene because people go there to get the, the Hall of Fame things that they pay for and they go there 
I, I don't really know why people go there. It's like it, just, it seems with with Facebook and everything like that. I don't know in terms of networking. I don't really see what the the value of those things are anymore. And and you know how many times you know do you need to go and see somebody who made a movie forty years ago and that was the last thing that he did and all he does now is go to conventions. You know, it's kind of uh, yeah. You know what? I used to shit. Thing. I used to shit all over it. And I mean, you couldn't pay me money to go. But uh, listen, that's some people's things. My my kid goes goes to Comic Con. I kind of look at this like a, you know this thing in Atlantic City is like the I don't know. From- but here's a weird thing. I'm not really a comic book guy. But if somebody said, "Hey, here here's a ticket to go to Comic Con for one day," I would go to it because I just know it's interesting and there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. And I'm not even a comic book guy. Okay, I am a huge martial arts geek. And you could not physically pay me to go to one of these things. There's a huge difference between this thing and like Comic Con, you know? Like right, at least at Comic Con, you I go see the cast of Walking Dead or something like that, right? <laughs> you know, it's like the, 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 a lot of the people who go to these conventions, they literally are the Walking Dead. I remember I was in, I, I might have said this before, but I was actually in Atlantic City on the same weekend that this convention was going on, but I was there for like an entirely different reason. And I was in the same casino as this martial art convention. And I saw this dude walking in the casino with his karate key on. Like, clearly he was part of the convention. Oh, God. But he was maybe, like, walking through the casino to go to his hotel or whatever. And he was wearing an orange karate gi with, like, the black colored cuffs. And it had, like, a dragon embroidered on the back. And it had the dude's name in, like, that fake asian writing like from a 1980s takeout box and like and 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 he had all these ridiculous patches all over the side up and down the leg and he was wearing these huge shades and he had like this fu manchu thing and he's just walking through the casino and i'm looking at this and i'm just going like this guy's so ridiculous Uh. and he has and no and he even said like he had a patch on the front of his gi that said i shit thee not Grandmaster. <laughs> That's when you know you're legit, when you have to have the oh patch on your feet to make sure people know, hey, you know what level I am? I'm Grandmaster. <laughs> it was That's great. fucking scary. Yeah, really scary, really scary. And if you're not interested in going to one of those things, there is a really cool thing going on in New York. It's actually starting tonight, which is Friday the 27th, our podcast probably won't come out until either Sunday or Monday, um, but the event will still be going on because it's going on for a week. The Museum of the uh, the Museum of Modern Art here in, in Manhattan is running an exhibit called Eternal Bruce Lee, and what they're doing is they're showing all of Bruce Lee's films, even Game of Death, <coughs> um, they're showing all of his films, uh, which are, have been restored in 4K, including like Big Boss, Fist of Fury, Way of the Dragon. So uh, for anybody out there who's a, a Bruce Lee film fan, which I can imagine a, a fair amount of our listeners are, um, if you've never seen like Bruce Lee's films on the big screen, it is a completely different experience from having watched it on the TV. So, I mean, it's essentially the format that it was meant to be watched in, but now they've been remastered in 4k. So this is the best version of these films that you can possibly see. I think they're going to show way the dragon, which is my favorite of all of Bruce Lee's films, uh, either Saturday or Sunday. I'm going to go see it. Um, I've seen it on the big screen before, but it's, it's such a different experience. It's totally worth it. I hope that they show it in the original Cantonese because they're way funnier 
in Cantonese, even with the subtitles, than, than the dubbed English version. So if anybody's in the New York area, go to the Museum of Modern Art website, look for the exhibit Eternal Bruce Lee, and look for the times. You can buy tickets online, and I highly suggest going. Maybe I'll see you there. It'd be totally awesome, and uh, that's my recommendation. Now, Way of the Dragon, that's the one when Bruce Lee fights a lot of guys, takes his shirt off, and kicks high and shit. <laughs> um, it might be that one. I would have to I'm look. That's a good one. I remember that one. That That's is a good, good one. one. That's a good one. Yeah. You know, you know what's funny about Bruce Lee from a cinematic perspective? And this is not a knock on Bruce Lee because obviously I'm a huge Bruce Lee fan. I still get goosebumps when I watch like the scene in Fists of Fury where he's in the Japanese school kicking the snot out of everybody. I sure. still love it. Um, but Bruce Lee's int- his films are interesting because – it's essentially the only Kung Fu movie where the main character has zero character development throughout the entire film. Like Bruce Lee is literally the same ass kicker in the first minute, in the first frame of the movie <laughs> as he is in the last, you know, whereas like typically in Kung Fu movies, the, the, you know, the main guy runs into some adversity and maybe has to train or learn some new technique or right, go right, within right. himself or whatever, right? And they, okay, they kind of did it in Enter the Dragon in that deleted scene where he has the talk with the abbot. And then at the end when he's in the, you know, fighting Han with the mirror, he remembers he has to destroy the illusion. That is the closest thing there is to any character development in any of Bruce Lee's films because he doesn't learn anything or internalize any for Bruce Lee is a philosophical dude as he was. Okay. There is like, there's literally nothing he has to better himself for to beat the final guy. Like the guy in frame one, enter the dragon frame one, the guy in the Shaolin temple beating up Sammo hung could have kicked Han's ass that same day. <laughs> you know what I mean? He didn't need anything, right? Like, you know, right, maybe right. the fact that he found out that Han was responsible for his sister played by the gorgeous Angela Mao. Uh, dying and then he had a little bit more rage but other than that what did he have to learn to beat the big boss what did he have to learn to beat the the japanese guy at the end of fist of fury what did he have to learn besides that he had to bob and weave a little bit to beat chuck norris at the end of way of the dragon nothing (laughs) nothing you know what i mean so it's kind of funny like uh, as much as i love him you know i mean maybe that would have changed it would have been interesting to see where he would have gone because i think playing the invincible ass kicker in every film would have gotten old after a while. He, pr- he would have had to have done something where there was some kind of development within himself, you know? Well, you know, I'm bad. I, I, I can freely, freely admit, I, I, I haven't watched Bruce Lee movies in a long, long time. I it's mean, long. other than Enter the Dragon, you know? But, um, I'm, and this is not a joke, I'm serious. I remember from when I was a kid, and I mean, we're talking I, a kid, that there was one of the movies where he... <laughs> He wore like a like a necklace or something as like a, 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 a <laughs> sorry, promise sorry. not to fight. Yes, 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 yes. A uh, big, big boss. That was his, big his, boss. His, his first film, yeah. And I remember as a kid wanting that necklace so fucking bad. Thinking yes. like, oh, that was pretty damn cool. And then like, and then like someone like actually rips off the necklace and then that's it. He just goes to town on people. Yeah, well, what's what's interesting about Big Boss is that Bruce Lee was not supposed to be the original star of that film. The original star of that film was James Tien, who ended up playing a very secondary character in that film. And uh, and it was unfortunate because uh, um, Fist, Fist of Fury was actually supposed to be James Tien's vehicle to become a superstar. And then Raymond Chow signed on Bruce Lee 
and was like, uh, no, 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 forget James Tien. We're going to put this Bruce Lee guy in charge there. And James Tien got totally pushed to, oh, to a sucks. side role, yeah, which his his career actually never recovered from since. He, he, always, he played second fiddle in a couple more Bruce Lee films, and including Game of Death. And he always played second fiddle roles, like from then out. And I, I think I don't even know if he's still around or whatever. But um, when when Bruce Lee came in, they didn't really know what to expect. And unfortunately, um, they didn't really give Bruce Lee a lot of freedom in that film. That's why there's not as many fight scenes. The choreographer was Honyan Gik, who's actually the guy who plays the big boss, the bad guy at the end, that old guy. He was actually the choreographer for that film. Oh, wow. And so that's why some of the fight scenes are a little bit stilted. But, of course, Bruce put his own flavor in there. But it, when you look back at it, he doesn't even fight until halfway through the damn movie because he has right. that damn necklace on, right? So, like, when I was a kid, I thought it was great because as a kid, you're kind of percolating, waiting for that damn thing to come off so that he can finally kick. And then <laughs> it's really gratifying. It's kind of like Jaws. Like, the first Jaws film is so great because you actually don't see the shark. They had so many problems with the mechanical shark throughout the filming that most of the film of Jaws has to allude to it through the music and through like you don't actually see it until the end. And kind of when you see the shark at the end, it's kind of disappointing. Like it was more scary when you didn't see it. Right. Just like Big Boss is kind of like, shit, what is he going to lose that thing? What is he going to lose that thing? And then the moment when it gets ripped off of him and then you just see Bruce Lee's face and then he just kicks the living. It's like, it's so gratifying, you know? <laughs> and then, and then of course the rest of the film is, is like amazing carnage. It's like, you know, he's like killing people with punches and, and the famous saw scene where he, he saws through the dude's head, but that got the cut out of the original version. Um, there's a few still shots of Bruce Lee with like the saw through the guy's head, but they never used it. And it's the famous saw scene or whatever. And oh. then for, for Chinese, uh, sorry, for Fist of Fury, um, the second film, they gave Bruce Lee a lot more leeway to choreograph films because he did such a kick ass job to choreograph the fight scenes. But Hong Yang Kik, the, the big boss, was still the official choreographer for that film. And he felt kind of pushed aside now that Bruce Lee was a star. So they let, I might, I think I might have said this on a previous podcast, they let Hon Yang Gik choreograph one fight scene in Fists of Fury, you know, where he fights all the Japanese. But it's the only fight scene that Bruce Lee is not in the film. All the fight scenes where Bruce Lee is fighting, Bruce did the choreography for. But there's one scene when the Japanese come to the Jingmo school and they tear up the place and beat up the local Chinese guys. Right. That fight scene was directed by Hon Yang Gik. It's the only one. And when you watch Fist of Fury, all of Bruce Lee's fight scenes, they're like typical Bruce Lee. Right. And then there's the one fight scene with the Japanese beating up the Jingmo school. And it's so old school, like, like you know, block, punch, block, punch. Right, and right, that's right. because it's the one fight scene that's directed by Hon Yang Gik. And then the rest of it was done by Bruce Lee again. And then by his third film, Way of the Dragon, Raymond Chow just let Bruce Lee do the whole thing. He let it write it, direct it, choreograph it or whatever. And that's why, in my opinion, Way of the Dragon is, is the best movie because it's the most quintessential Bruce. He, he, was, he had his hand in every part of that film. And it's funny. He's got humor. Like, he was on the toilet at the beginning and all that. So it's, like, really cool. Like, I, I thought that was – it's really my favorite film. That's cool. That's cool. I, uh, I, uh, maybe I should go back and watch one or two of them. You should, man. You should, because you'll have a different appreciation of it as an adult. Um, it's less the kind of superhero Bruce Lee, and you'll go back and you'll be like, oh, there's a stop hit. Oh, they right. do a little yeah, thing exactly. from Wing Chun. Like, oh, they're just using head movement. You know what I mean? Like, you, you have a, a very different appreciation for it as, a, as an adult. 
That's cool. You know, one day when I become an adult, I want to try that. <laughs> yeah, let me know. And when I become an adult too. So I've just heard about this so-called being adult. Thing. Adulthood. To me, being an adult just means I have to pay my bills every month. <laughs> yeah. So um, I thought maybe uh, rather than kind of taking, uh, you know, questions from from uh, our, our Facebook page, we would actually just kind of discuss a topic that it's kind of been alluded to, I think, in a number of our podcasts, but uh, uh, BUG, which is the third form of Wing Chun, somewhat secretive because not a lot of people, um, well, it's the only form besides the Bacham Do form where there's actually no record of Grandmaster Yip Man's version of it. So we've seen his Siunam Tao, his Chum Q, his wooden dummy, uh, to a certain degree, but there's actually no footage of his Buji form, including the 197 Tang Sang footage, which I've seen. He also didn't film the Buji form back then either. So it's the one form where uh, I, I think there's the most discrepancy among all the various streams of, of Yip Man. And uh, in, not just in terms of the choreography of the form, but what it's for, how it's used, what its meaning is. And then there's also the topic of how it's used in Wing Chun. And I don't, I'm uh, sorry, in Jeet Kune Do, primarily Bruce's modification of the finger jab, you know, with the fingers together and all that kind of stuff and him kind of plucking that one thing out of Buji and making that one of his primary tools, at least as I understand it, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. And, um, and then that being what a lot of JKD people think Buji is, it's, it's a finger jab. And, and at least as far as I have understand from Jikendo people, what, what they think Buji is, is we have an entire form in Wing Chun, but it's basically all just about plucking the guy in the eyes. That seems <laughs> to be the, it's, 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 to be the misconception kind of, in Jikendo. Yeah, if you speak to most, if, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, no, no, no. If you, if you speak to um, a good portion of the Jikendo community and ask them what Buji is, they um, they they interpret it as to be a finger jab, and if you and right. they they think that the 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 third form of Wing Chun, um, the third, third empty hand form of Wing Chun, the the Buji form, is there to be, um, is, is the form to practice the Buji, to practice the finger jab. That that's what it's all about, finger jabbing, and you know, mm-hmm. like and, and they'll want to come to you and learn it because they think they're under the impression that it is the deadliest of the uh, the forms, and it's a, and that's why it's a secret. Right. I can't speak to why it's a secret in Wing Chun. Um, I'm not a, an expert in that. I've heard, I've heard several stories, and the one's more interesting than the next. But I can tell you in Jeet Kune Do, as I've learned Jeet Kune Do, and my understanding of Jeet Kune Do, to me, Buji the technique, as opposed to Buji the form. Buji the, the finger jab. In fact, I really, honestly, I really don't call it a Buji. Like, I, I just refer to it as a, a finger jab. Um, to me, the finger jab is the epitome of Jeet Kune Do. In that, it has absolutely nothing to do with the technique. It has to do with the delivery system involved in the technique. Jeet Kune Do's uh, main weapon is most often described as the straight lead, straight lead punch, which um, it's a lead hand power punch, for lack of a better description. To me, the, the finger jab is more of an alive, loose, um, crack of the whip, type strike taught in Jeet Kune Do, the finger jab, the buji, where everything kind of comes into place at the right time. I, I, I call it the crack of the whip for that reason, where your, your, your body momentum, body sway, footwork, uh, your timing, your distance, your rhythm, the opponent's uh, movements, your strategy and your tactics 
all come together and give you this beauty, this finger jab right to the eye or to the throat or whatever target is open to you. And and that's what beauty is in Jeet Kune Do. It is the, the tip of the sword for a fencer. That's, and, and yes, most JKD people just have uh, zero understanding of, 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 of Wing Chun and zero understanding of the third form of Wing Chun. And, um, and that and that's where it's at. I mean, it's it's, it's if if I had to sit there and describe Buji or or finger jab in JKD, unfortunately, it's almost it's really hard to do. You know, over a podcast because it's 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 a movement. It's it's you know, and it's and it's based on timing and rhythm and distancing and and um, and it's it's like I like to equate it to a fencer's thrust. It's you know it's um, it's not a power punch, it's it's the crack of the whip. It's the fingering entering the eye at a perfectly timed within the body sway and the, the momentum of the fight, and and um, and that's it. And it's that's just com- completely different than the third form of Wing Chun. You know uh, the third form of Wing Chun, as Alex is going to tell you, you know the quote unquote buji <laughs> that you the JKD people call you know call what they call buji. You see once. And most, I shouldn't say most, and a lot of Wing Chun people don't even teach that part as a finger jab. They teach it more as a straight-up clearing of the line. At least that's, you know, um, how I tend to use that in the third form is, is more of a center-line clearing and, or, or return to center. It's, it's not so much as a, an offensive technique, um, at least in the realms of the third form of Wing Chun, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, also in JKD, you'll hear people use the term Busao instead of Buji. Busao, then Dallas is going to just crack you to fuck up. So in JKD, they'll teach Tansao, palm up, and Busao, palm down, uh-huh. as the same technique. <clears throat> oh, you mean basically they're, they're defending the way they would defend with a Tansao, but they defend with the palm facing down instead. Right, and they just refer to that as Busao. Yeah, it's called Fuxel anyway, but <laughs> right. But they'll they'll JKD people have absolutely no idea what Fuxel is, so that right. you can't start confusing JKD people when you're, when when when. It comes well, I mean, to, to a certain degree, I mean, Bruce Lee kind of shied away from using a lot of traditional terms. I think, especially in his latter his period, credit. a little bit. Yeah, and and so I think. What you have in JKDs, you might have a lot of people who don't have any knowledge of Chinese terminology or, or, or its Wing Chun origins, and they're kind of making stuff up a little bit, or just assuming that one thing means the other thing, and it's the same, or whatever, and, and um, that, that could be the case. Yeah, like, I think one of the, <clears throat> one of the biggest problems with uh, the JKD Wing Chun, as far as Buji goes, is that in... In, in in Wing Chun, it's it's a complete form with a, a whole multitude of ideas and and um, and understandings from uh, family to family, lineage to lineage, school to school within the same lineage. And JKD, it's really just a, it's a technique. It's it's a it's an important technique. It's um it's the technique that if you understand a uh, simple attack, simple angulated, simple simple direct attack. You're going to be uh, using Buji a lot, but um, it's 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 a, I think it's a misnomer to refer to the finger jab as a Buji. I've done it now for 25 years, but right. it really shouldn't be called that. 
Sure, sure. Um, well, that, that's really interesting because I think that if 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 the so-called finger jab in JKD is really contextualized as a finger jab, uh, so as that it, it becomes kind of its own thing, that it's kind of maybe almost the open-handed or finger-stabbing version of the JKD straight lead, um, that makes a lot more sense than than thinking it has anything necessarily to do with beauty. And um, again, I'm not one of these Wing Chun guys that are like they harp on on Bruce Lee's Wing Chun or what Bruce Lee may or may not have learned in Wing Chun, because first of all, we don't really know. Um, it's all speculation anyway. Um, second, uh, even if Bruce Lee learned very little of Wing Chun, what he was able to do with it was really quite amazing. I mean, he is the, the so-called king of Kung Fu. And, and if people want to say, well, he learned very little from Grandmaster Yip Man, or he didn't really learn this, that, or whatever. Yeah, but still he ended up doing a lot more than many people who supposedly learned the whole system, you know, or just right. twiddling their thumbs, drinking tea in, in Hong Kong and complaining about how Bruce Lee didn't know anything about force theories and Wing Chun or nonsense like that, right? So um, they're, they're definitely, so so I'm, I'm definitely not one of those guys and I hope nobody would ever think that I am that, but there, there's a lot of speculation among people who knew Bruce Lee and, and Wing Chun Sifas in Hong Kong that, that Bruce didn't properly learn the Buji form. Uh, because, you know, in the time that he was learning from Wong Salem, he was focusing mainly on fighting techniques or Chisau techniques or whatever. And um, there is uh, a lot of evidence and he may not have actually learned the formal form. Now, learning the form is one thing. Learning how to use it is something else. He may have learned how to use some of the stuff and not known the form. Like, so there are a lot of variables there. There are a lot of per- potential outcomes or whatever. I remember when uh, your Sifu Steve Golden taught in my school it was either last year or the year before, he, he taught some Chisau maneuver from Buji that he said that Bruce Lee taught him and that uh, Bruce Lee told him not to teach this thing openly or whatever, right? <laughs> and, I don't know uh, what you're talking about. <laughs> and when he showed it and I saw it, it, it looked quite feasible that this was actually something from proper Wing Chun Buji. As a, it, it, in other words, it wasn't just the finger jab to the eye. So that's right. all I'm going to say about it, right? So um, I thought that was quite interesting. So I, I feel that that um, Bruce Lee did know some stuff about how Buji functioned, whether he knew the form or not. Now, I can actually tell you guys something that my Sikong Leung Ting told me in private. Okay? okay. And um, he told me this many years ago. I don't even remember how it came up. Uh, I think I might have just point blank asked him. And I said, uh, did, did, did Bruce Lee learn the Buji? from Grandmaster Yip Man, and, and, and Lang Teng told me, well, no, I mean, and everyone knows that in Hong Kong that Grandmaster Yip Man didn't actually teach Bruce Lee that much stuff. Now, that wasn't necessarily because of the stupid rumor about Bruce Lee being a quarter German, which is a bunch of nonsense. Um, right. it, it actually had more to do with the fact that during the time that uh, Bruce Lee was learning from Grandmaster Yip Man, Grandmaster Yip Man was going through an extremely hard period in his life. He had some personal problems, um, uh, you know, without getting into too much detail, perhaps some substance abuse issues. And uh, there, there were just things that were going on in his life where he, he, you know, part of the reason why Wong San Leung and other people were in charge of the classes, this is Grandmaster Yip Man was kind of out of sorts during that particular time period where Bruce Lee happened to be learning from him. So had Bruce Lee had the chance to learn from Grandmaster Yip Man in the early period where Grandmaster Yip Man didn't have those problems or in the latter period where he kind of made a comeback, it's interesting it's an interesting thought experiment to wonder what Bruce Lee would, what what Grandmaster Yip Man would have been able to teach him. But Sifu Langting told me this. He says, "But 
Bruce Lee, when he came back to Hong Kong at that time that um, it's very famous where Bruce Lee came to Hong Kong in the mid 60s, he asked Grandmaster Yip Man if he would teach him the wooden dummy and Grandmaster Yip Man famously refused him. Everyone knows that story, right? right? But he said he wouldn't teach him the wooden dummy because maybe either wasn't qualified or Grandmaster Yip Man didn't want to be filmed. Whatever the story was, I'm not going to speculate on that. But Sifu Leung Ting told me because Leung Ting at the time was learning from Leung Sung that Bruce Lee went to Leung Sung, his Thai Sihing. When Leung Sung was the first student of Yip Man, and Leung Sung taught Bruce Lee the Buji form. So, um, oh wow, yeah, but but uh, but Leung Ting was like very, he hedged that very much like, oh, but he only learned the form, not not much time, just very quickly, only learned the form, (laughs) right? So, so (laughs) he was kind of like, yeah, but he just said that, but again, like it's possible Wong Sun Leung may have may have taught Bruce Lee a number of uses of the BUG or whatever, maybe a little bit or whatever. So he picked up a little bit from this guy, a little bit from that guy, kind of like how everybody else does it. Uh, You know, the problem with traditional martial arts, especially Wing Chun, is everybody wants to believe that everyone's super traditional. Everyone learns everything from their Sifu. And even in the most traditional so-called direct students of Grandmaster Yip Man, they all have had input from their Sihangs and other people that they've trained from. And this is, this is, there is no exception to this anywhere. I could not agree with you more. I mean, regardless of the school, I mean, if you're in a, if you're in a martial arts school, traditional, eclectic, whatever, you learn more from your training partners and your older Kung Fu brothers and sisters than you do directly from your Sifu. Your Sifu is your Sifu is the guiding post. He's there to he's there to keep to keep the uh, the ship going in the right direction. But to think that he's sitting there teaching you everything is just it's just mistaken. I mean, you know, you learn from your from your older brothers and sisters. That's what, absolutely that's so, that, so, that's what creates a comfortable family. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 not, no. You're you're absolutely correct. And and so I thought that was a really interesting story because obviously Leung Teng before he learned privately from Grandmaster Yip Man, he was a student of Leung Sang. Uh, and so he, he knew this. This was like, uh, you know, uh, he even told me that <laughs> that Bruce Lee had done cheese out with some of Leung Sung's students at that time. And 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 Leung Ting admitted to me, he says, oh, and Bruce Lee was better than many of Leung Sung's students. <laughs> like he didn't, he didn't want to like he was just like, oh, yeah, Bruce kind of beat them up a little bit. And, and then uh, and then Leung Sung purportedly taught him the um his version of the buji form so uh so it's still it's, it's an interesting story so obviously from a wing chun perspective um the buji has actually very little to do with an eye jab just like you talked about before right. uh, i mean people look at you know this kind of outstretched hand and fingers going forward and it's kind of like if, if you're not taught what that's for you know you're kind of baser instincts would say oh this clearly must be some kind of eye jab or some kind of jab to the eyes and you know if, if you know how kind of crazy it is in combat to to really hope that you know you're you're going to be deadly accurate to get him right in the eyes and hope you know the the common problem with the damn eye jab is that if you're going for the guy's eyes and he even just bows his head down or tucks his chin I, in you end up hitting fucked. him in the damn skull right <laughs> so you know the, and there's certain lineages even within so-called Wing Chun, you know, the, on the more classical end of things, that they actually do espouse the fact that that all these open-handed movements in Buji are in fact finger strikes. And mm. when you look at the etymology of of how Wing, train there. Wing Chun Wing Chun was developed, the styles that it came from, particularly White Crane and Emei or whatever, to think that you know the open, like for example, when we sway our hands in the Buji form, like. 
uh, some call it sam sambaiji, other people call it sapti sao, right? The the character ten hand, all these that that these are all finger jabs to places like the neck or whatever. It it actually when when you understand Wing Chun's origins and and where these movements came from, where they were developed from, it's 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 a very spurious claim to think that these things are eye jabs. But if you have somebody who doesn't really understand its function, if you look at it superficially. They look like some kind of darting finger jabs or whatever, but right. um, this has very little to do with it. First of all, um, a lot of these, the, the swaying movements have to do with tendon building for long bridge force because one of the big ideas in Buji is something called Cheongkyu, Fatleg, which is the long long bridge force, right? right? Which is the original name of the so-called inch punch, right? But right. it's just, you know, if you say long bridge exploding force doesn't it sounds kind of cumbersome right or long bridge expelling force inch punch is a lot sexier right so right. it's like you know in english you go for inch punch right but the 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 traditional chinese name is the, the the power in the long bridge where your arm is nearly extended so you you have to develop the tendons there and this is one of the reasons why we have these multiple repetitions of these swaying hand movements but one of the things that people forget is most of Wing Chun operates on the so-called sagittal plane, on the so-called vertical plane. Like, mm -hmm. think about chain punching, for example. It's kind of like on the center axis, kind of rotating on one plane. So one of the things that the Buji is very well known for is that it's the only form in Wing Chun that focuses on the horizontal plane. So uh, meaning that at least as, as far as it's, it's taught in the Leung Ting system, that the, the continuous Buji style movement doesn't even come from the center. It actually comes from the side to the center. And that's why the arm is actually placed kind of under the tricep behind the elbow. And, and that way, because if you start from the middle and you go from the middle forward, you're kind of doing the same thing you do with the punch. So there is no geometrical advantage over going on the center. But if you go from the side, you can cut the entire triangle with one movement to the center. And it's very funny because I, I thought only Leung Ting and a handful of people taught the Buji that way, right? That that, that the continuous Buji actually comes here, from, not, not from the center, but comes from the side, right? And then when I met Sifu Roland Tong last year in Hong Kong, Sifu Roland Tong was a very early period private student of Yip Man. He was kind of like, he kind of came to me in this moment where it was like, so I was interviewing him about Grandmaster Yip Man and stuff. And he was asking me, like, he wanted me to ask him technical questions about Wing Chun, right? So he he, he kind of like, he looked around a little bit in that very typical, typical no, Wing Chun no way. looking. Like, <laughs> looking. Because, of course, he didn't, he had never seen me perform any of the forms or do any Wing Chun. Right. So he, he didn't know me from a bump in the road, right? So he goes... You know, many people, they do the Buji wrong. He goes, they do it from the center and go to the middle. And he goes, but that is the same as the punch from the middle. He goes, you need to go from the side to the middle so you cut the entire triangle. And the thing is, it's exactly the way I was taught by Sifu Lang Ting. But, of course, here's one thing you have to learn about old Chinese Sifus, okay? If you want them to tell you more and you want so so listen up kitties if you're out there and you have and you have uh, fantasies about getting a chinese master or going to hong kong or learning from a, a chinese sifu all right westerners have a problem with this because they always want to make sure people know that they know this already right when when a chinese sifu tells you something that is super plain as day and obvious and you totally know it and you understand it already you never go like, I could have said, oh, yeah, that's exactly the way Sifu Leung Ting taught me. 
Because for the traditional Chinese Sifu, if you say something like that, he's going to just shut down because he's going to go, oh, he's going to feel like what he taught you wasn't special because you kind of said you knew it already. And that's going to make him feel a bit disrespected, even though that wasn't the reason why you said it. And he's also going to feel like, well, I'm not going to screw that. I'm not going to tell this guy anything else, you know. So one of the reasons why I was able to get so much from many different Chinese masters, whether it was my own lineage of WT or meeting with other people, is you always do the, whoa, really? Okay. And what and, and what else about that? You know what I mean? Even though right, he was sure. telling me he was telling me this thing, and this is exactly the way I've been doing it for nearly 16 years in the Learning Ting system, right? But had I said, like, oh yeah, yeah, that's how Learning Ting teaches it, he would have just shut down. And I was just like, Oh wow, right, cool. And then as a result, he brings me over to the wooden dummy and he starts showing me how he does the wooden dummy and does all this stuff in application. And so you, you, the 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 Chinese have a saying, it's like they say, cast the brick to get jade. So sometimes you have to give a little or concede that maybe you don't quite know something. Or sometimes you have to weaken your arm position so they can go in and show you something. Because it's those moments that they're going to actually teach you something. If you get hyper competitive with an old Sifu or, or, you know, you tell them, oh, yeah, yeah, I've already heard that. Or I've seen it. Oh, that's very similar to my lineage. He's just going to stop telling you anything. But if you kind of play, I'm not going to say play dumb. But you play appreciative, appreciatively. Right, they sure. will give you everything, and so um, that was a confirmation for me that beauty, in fact, operates on a horizontal plane. Unlike most of the rest of Wing Chun, which is on the sagittal plane, which gives you a timing advantage. Um, and like you said, it can be a way to recover the center line. You're placing your hand in the center when you've lost something as opposed to going and jabbing your fingers in somebody's eyes. It can happen if you do a view that you accidentally hit somebody in the eyes and the consequence of doing a correct buji might be that you flick them in the eyes and a flick to the eyes could, if right. anybody's watched any UFC, hardly a UFC goes by where there's not an accidental <laughs> eye jab, right? Um, and accidental it is, eye jab. Yeah, and it is, uh, <laughs> although they changed the MMA rules now to make that, uh, uh, to lessen that happening. Um, but you see that it's actually a very effective tool um, but it's definitely not, in my opinion, in, in the way I learned it, and I think in the way you probably also learned it in Moyat Wing Chun, it's not a primary directive of thrusting your fingers into somebody's eyes. And then you have to practice all this kind of crazy iron finger nonsense so you can put it in somebody's neck. I mean, look, if somebody's grabbing you on the street and wants to punch your face in, are you going to trust your life to throwing your fingers in his neck or are you just going to ball your fist and punch this dude, right? Exactly so right. for me, it's also about what, what are your baser instincts going to lean to when you're when you're actually in a threat situation. So that's why I tend to stay away from these things as as deadly finger strikes, so to speak. Well, you know, first of all, love that. And I, I've never uh, trained in WT. I've actually, I don't even know if I've ever seen the forms. I'm such a moron. But um, <laughs> well, if you ever want to see it, I'll, I'll do it for you. You can just ask me. I mean, like next time we're over, I'll show you. <laughs> but um one of the things that um, I like to believe, and Alex, feel free to roll your eyes and say, what a fucking putz. I would never do that. Um, that section of the Buji form, for me, is a perfect tie-in with the other two empty hand forms. I, I tend to look for commonality, commonalities and threads throughout the forms. And when Alex just spoke about how the, uh, in the Buji form where the, the, uh, the finger comes out from the elbow, so off-center to center, I, I also look at that. So if you look in, in, in the first form, 
Sunam Tao. At the uh, end part of the uh, Silam Tao, right before the punches, when you know, in my lineage we refer to it as Tutsal, but other lineages refer to it as the, the, the wiping hands, the swiping yeah. hands. We also call it Tutsal in Lung Okay, so to me, that's very similar. So in third form, your hand is coming from outside, uh, off center, traveling to center underneath. Tutsal, it's it's very similar, it's just traveling above the arm as opposed to below the arm. Now, sure, the angle, the, the angle of the plane is different. We, you know, when Tutsal is done angled down, um, in the Buji form, it's angled higher. There's a commonality there. So I look to see, you know, where does that fit in? And then if you look at Chunkyu, you have the section, again, I'm going to refer to it how, how I learned it, is in Zhao Sao Jeep Sao, where you're coming here. And Alex, you can give their proper name for it. I know it is Jiao Sao Jeep Sao. Um, that also has a a swiping feature to it. And if you look at the, the the way your arms are swiping above, below, out, in, and you you kind of see this this circle of uh, circle thread from the forms. And um, I, I I was introduced to this idea of running running threads through forms. By my Sifu, um, Tom Kagan, with that. So with those three movements within the three empty hand forms, he said, look at this, find a commonality to this, and now look at the commonality to that. And we looked at the three forms, and we kind of found this thread. He goes, now take that idea and circle back as you learn more information and other forms like... Like, like, the, like the Zhang and things to that effect and try and find where these commonalities fit in and what are they trying to show you and, and I feel like it's, it's through that kind of um, investigation or lack of a better word is how I learned a lot of, uh, a lot of Wing Chun and, uh, and that's one of my favorite although maybe, maybe, and maybe it was of course the first one for me that, that's, that's like my favorite thread through three, the three forms. This idea of the, uh, the, the wiping hands, the swiping hands from, um, from off angle to center. And uh, it started with Tutsao. It went to Chao uh, Sao Jeep Sao into the um, Buji section. And um, I just, I don't know, I just thought maybe if you, if you folks do your forms in that way, I know some people do forms differently, look at it, look at those as a, as a thread and um, maybe use that idea of a thread throughout the forms, and maybe you can find some other things that you'll find useful as well. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. <clears throat> there are definitely movement uh, themes and threads throughout all the forms, and, and I think most people, even what you just described is probably a level, uh, quite a few levels deeper than most people actually look at the forms because, you know, I find, unfortunately, there seems to be a trend where people just, they kind of learn the form, they go on YouTube, they cobble together some Buji form from whatever Sifu of whatever lineage, they kind of do it and they're like, okay, so what is this thing for? And then they look for a couple moves in books. Oh, this is this, this is this, this is that. And they, they kind of cobble it together, but without learning the essence, the, 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 the deeper meaning of it. So what, what they're essentially doing is they're kind of assembling their Kung Fu with a bunch of random parts and hoping that this is somehow going to function when, when they need it rather than, kind of have a more holistic approach where they're trying to find the concepts and threads and what's kind of binding all these things together. So uh, I think that that thought experiment you have about finding the commonalities in the forms is is probably a great first step for people to even just start thinking about them more because they, they, they 
I, I see such a superficial relationship to many Wing Chun practitioners and their forms. It's like they kind of just feel, okay, I learned this, I learned this, I learned this, and it has seemingly no effect on what they actually do when they practice right. Tisa or Latsa or whatever, and, and that's certainly not the way it should be, in, in, in at least the way I look at it. Yeah, you know, it's um, I think the forms are... The, the forms are important. Um, what's more important than the forms are the lessons found in the form. I'm not going to sure. call them secret. I'm going to call them, you know, uh, thoughts. You need you need to think about the forms. And what, what, another thing I like to think about is your form should change. Now, I'm not talking about gross motor movements. Your form should change as you learn the later forms. The way you do Bong Sao in Silindao is going to change slightly after you learn Shamkyu, in my opinion. And I think that only happens with people that give thought to to the lessons as opposed to just thought to memorizing the form. Right. You know, if you, when you learn shit, your your fundamentals change. Your fundamentals become... Hey, uh, is, that, is that another Seanism? When you learn shit... Your fundamentals change. <laughs> That's going on a fucking T-shirt, man. Yeah, I'll, have to, I'll have to translate that into Chinese, and then it'll sound much more mystical, right? <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. That you know, as as your understanding of of the material deepens, it changes you from kind of the ground up. So there's a difference be- between the Sunum Tell form of even somebody who's practiced Sunum Tell like a maniac for a year. And somebody's been doing Wing Chun for 20 years and has an understanding of the entire system. There's just there's just right. a spit shine and a polish and a, a cohesiveness in there that cannot possibly exist, no matter how hard somebody just trained that one thing. You brought up something else I wanted to just give a quick talk to. And, and if I offend anybody with this, I really don't apologize at all. <laughs> um, you mentioned iron palm training. I don't know if you're comfortable talking about it or not or because we didn't discuss this at all, but you mentioned it. And I want to tell a quick, quick story. And if I told it already in a prior podcast, I don't give a fuck. Um, <laughs> when I was a kid, I was studying in a, uh, a martial arts school. And um, I remember asking about watching some Saturday afternoon movie and these guys were thrusting their hands in sand or some shit sure. like that and sure. busting, punching bricks and being fascinated with that and I'm 15 years old or however however old I am and I remember standing outside the karate school in Brooklyn Avenue West in Brooklyn I'll never forget it and before class yeah it was before class and I'm sitting there and I'm punching the brick wall uh-huh. waiting for the sensei to show up right <laughs> and I remember him walking up to me and he's like hi Sean and I'm like oh hi sensei you know I snapped to attention and shit you know and he's like opening up the gates and he's like, what are you doing? And I go, oh, well, I saw, you know, like, you know, they, in, in this movie, they punch in sand and they punch through brick walls. And you got to remember, folks, I'm 15 at the time, right? 14. Sure, sure. I said, and I was thinking I, I should do that this way. If I punch somebody, I'd never break my hand. And, and he said something and he sits, he sits me down in a way. And it just it was so cool. Like you know, he wasn't a highly educated man or anything to that effect, and he spoke very plain. And this is exactly what he said to me: gospel truth. He goes, "Sean, you're a young man now, and it's probably not going to make sense. But when you get to be old like me, and I'm, he probably was like forty-five, fifty, right? Uh-huh. He says there's this incredible 
independence of being able to wipe your own ass. <laughs> he goes, if you keep on punching brick walls, I'm going to think by the time you're my age, you're not going to be able to wipe your own ass. And you're going to say, wow, I should have listened to Sensei way back then. <laughs> <laughs> That's very right. but, but you know what? That's the kind of like very earthy advice is 100% correct. I mean, uh, Iron Palm's kind of a funny thing. It, you know, you have like, you have different groups within martial arts who are like, you know, you have people who kind of believe a lot of stuff that are in films, even well into adulthood. And then you have certain streams of Chinese martial arts that teach these things as legitimate training methods. And then you have a lot of people in between who are like, yeah, I do Wing Chun and I do Iron Palm, right? And it's, it's pretty clear, actually, I have... Um, one of my great fortunes is when I was learning from Sifu Leung Ting, he sent me a number of the photos of him with Grandmaster Yip Man at his school. And he sent me the original, like, high-res versions of these photos. I see. So, so I have, like, when, when Leung Ting opened his gym in 1970, 1971, and Grandmaster Yip Man was there as the guest of honor, there's a photo of, of Grandmaster Yip Man at Leung Ting's school next to Leung Ting. And like he's holding like Lang Ting's holding like the martini glass and and you can see Yip Man's hands very close. And I have this in really high res. Right. And I remember when I got it from him, I, I zoomed in like uh, because I'm a huge like, you know, when I look at Bruce Lee's hands, I was always looking at his knuckles. When I meet martial arts guys, I look at their knuckles to see how much they've trained. When I meet karate guys, I see if it's the top two knuckles. Right, 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 sure. Guys, the bottom three knuckles. Kind of like when you see a wrestler with cauliflower ear. You know, there's certain signs you can tell, like somebody trains right. this hard, somebody does that, whatever, right? So um, I remember, I, I was like, oh, I have a high-res photo of Grandmaster Yip Man, and I want to look at his hands, right? So I zoomed in, and I zoomed in, and his hands were baby soft. I mean, baby soft, right? So it's like, you know, anybody who wants to say that Grandmaster Yip Man was practicing some kind of iron palm or whatever, I'll come and show you his baby soft hands <laughs> and, and, and tell you that that is actually not the case, right? So um, anyway, uh Wing Chun clearly in, in its history and when, when you look at what most of Grandma Shiyan Man students are teaching, the Iron Palm is clearly not part of Wing Chun. Okay, Now, there are people that say Iron Palm is something, it's just a training method, so it's not lineage or martial arts style specific. In other words, there's, there's an actual training methodology of Iron Palm that is not specific to any one lineage or style or whatever. So you have people who are like, well, it doesn't hurt, it's going to, I'm well, it literally does hurt, but meaning it doesn't hurt. Like if you add it to your style, it's just going to make you a harder puncher or it's going to make your hands more impervious to injury or whatever, which I actually find is not the case. I know a lot of people who practice iron palm and in their old age, they have arthritis, their hands are all messed up. And, right. and it's like, and, and for what, you know, if you, if you learn how to punch with proper alignment on a wall bag, you know, your knuckles will get a little roughed up. They'll, they'll be what they need to be, but it's, it's more, you have to learn the alignment of punching against something live and not just something dead that you kind of pound again and again, because look, if, if you get into a fight and you knock somebody out, knock somebody down and you bust your hand a little bit, but you win the fight, you can consider yourself lucky. You're not dead. You're not knocked out, but to spend an inordinate amount of time to spend, you know, a couple hours every week to essentially 
calcify the bones on your hands just so that for that one time you get in a fight, you don't have a sore hand afterwards. It actually doesn't really make any sense from a practical standpoint in terms of like, you know, cost benefit analysis, how much time I put into toughening my hand to what it's actually going to help me in a fight or whatever. It's like just hit a damn heavy bag. You know, hit a wall bag, learn proper alignment and develop your punching power and not worry about, you know, you know, learn how to properly align your fist. That's much more important than smacking the shit out of it against something like that until it gets hard or whatever. And I'll tell you a very funny story. I'm not going to tell you who told me this, but it was one of Grandmaster Yip Man's most senior students. Okay, And he told me. That because there's maybe one or two of Grandmaster Yip Man's students who might purport to teach Iron Palm. And he told me that Grandmaster Yip Man had a book on Iron Palm under his bed. And it was a very generic book, like one of those Chinese pulp novels that shows all the, the death points and all that right, kind yeah, of yeah. nonsense and how to do, you know, the, the secret hitting points or whatever. And he says, Somebody gave this book to Grandmaster Yip Man as a gift, and Grandmaster Yip Man had absolutely zero interest in this book, and he just tossed <laughs> it under his bed, right? And there was a night where two of Yip Man's students who were very curious about what some books that Grandmaster Yip Man might have had lying around or whether he had some kind of secret uh, uh, you know, formulas hiding there somewhere. They actually broke into his house when he wasn't there. Wow. And they found... This the book. Iron Palm book. Yes. They found the Iron Palm book. They transcribed it as much as they could. And I even heard that they went and had get some kind of – it was in the days before Xerox. They got some kind of photostatic copy right, of it right, or right. whatever they used to do back in the old days. And lo and behold, many years later, suddenly, I learned secret death touch points from Grandmaster right. Yip Man – and That's in re- and and the thing is that the early period students who were around at that time all knew that these two students broke into Yip Man's house when Yip Man wasn't there <laughs> and looked at this book and the senior guys all knew that Yip Man did not give a flying shit about that book. It was just like you know, I've been doing martial arts for a while. People give me books and gifts and stuff all the time. Where it's like right. you know, like people give me some stuff like. Um, like a Bruce Lee shirt and like, you know, I'll wear some Bruce Lee shirts, but I'll be very kind of picky about the ones I wear and they'll give me ones that are just plain silly, you know, like, I don't think I'm ever going to wear this. Right. Or people will give me like, you know, books about stuff. First of all, either I already have the book or it's just like some ridiculous thing that I'm not interested in anyway. And that's on my bookshelf. And if you walked into my house and looked at my bookshelf and you'd see tons and tons and tons of books that I have read, and you'd probably see probably 20% of the books that are on my shelf are things that just been given to me as gifts that I may never open my entire life. Right, right, right. And so somebody went in there and like, oh, did you know that Sifu Alex Richter has like five books on ninjutsu? And that's totally legit. You know, five of them, three of them I read as a kid, two of them I was given as an adult and have never even opened. But you could look at that and go like, whoa. Like this is maybe there's some something about Sifu Alex's Wing Chun that has ninjutsu in it, you know. So people can have this kind of confirmation bias that has something to do with it. So in terms of this, like, oh, there are secret dimmock techniques that uh, Yip Man only taught certain students. When students in Hong Kong know that a certain couple students actually stole the damn book, which Yip Man did not give a flying crap about, and then suddenly those things 
made look Wing Chun's a very practical style and, and Dim Mak is is you know kind of a very silly off debunked topic within Chinese martial arts and it's like let's talk about punching let's not talk about disabling pressure points and all this kind of nonsense I mean I know absolutely nothing about Dim Mak <laughs> I can't talk about it intelligently at all whatsoever I'm talking solely about the um, the hand conditioning involved Sure, just, sure, sure. I've seen um, when I was well, a kid. Uh, to, not, not to cut you off, but in traditional Chinese martial arts, they're somewhat related. There's, okay, there's the aspect that, of it that, that you're kind of like in Iron Palm, you're kind of developing your hand to be extremely, you know, tough and can withstand a lot of pain. And, and, and you know, you're kind of calcifying the knuckles and all that kind of stuff. And, and this will, of course, improve your ability to punch because your, your, your fist is basically turning into this kind of like solidified weapon, right? Sure. And then once you have this skill, then there are varying ways of using the fist that you will also condition, and then you will use those specifically on various points or whatever to kind of disable your opponent with, you know, there's one faction that uses the iron palm to kind of go to those so-called secret points, and then there's another faction that uses iron palm solely for doing things like breaking bricks and stuff like that. And I'll tell you what, as hokey as a lot of that stuff is, there are actual legitimate forms of breaking bricks and smashing shit with your hands that are totally legit and super difficult to do. And there are people who specialize in that, but they are again, dedicating an inordinate amount of time to the craft of breaking shit with their hands, which is not the same as punching somebody who's coming at you, which has nothing to do with defending yourself against punches, kicks, whatever. And it's a, it's an amazing talent. It's an amazing feat. I know guys in Hong Kong who have legit iron palm skill and I've seen them break like, rocks like i'm not talking about hitting sure. blocks with spaces so i've seen them actually take stones and break that with their hands right. and i just go that's legit you know yeah, what i mean right, right, right. Uh, and so there is definitely a legit aspect to it but when you think about the kind of fighting logic that wing chun adheres to and we talk about more about aligning our strikes in a way where we're minimizing the damage to ourselves solely because that's why we land with the bottom three knuckles it's the safest way to punch jack dempsey even wrote all right. about it in his book championship fighting the only safe way to really punch is with the bottom three knuckles right so we're more about that and then to think that i'll show you close up grandmaster yip man if he ever trained iron palm it, you would never be able to tell because his hands were baby soft man they were like it's what we call the pimp hand he probably covered that thing in talcum powder at the end of every night baby <laughs> soft man <laughs> but iron but iron palm certainly not that that I, I i would put money on the fact that he never did that when i was a kid i used to buy uh tons of martial arts magazines and there was always the guy in there every month i'm gonna fuck up his name for mario demora maybe Sure. Who, uh, used to like hit his hand with a hammer. He used yes. to have this. <laughs> he used to have this ad every month of like Black Belt magazine, hold, hitting his fucking hand with a hammer. Crazy, crazy, crazy shit. But what you were saying about the um, the Iron Palm book on the Grandmaster Yipman's uh, bed? Yes. yes. The Jikundo equivalent of that is the the, the Tao of Jikundo. I know I've spoken about it on the podcast before, but there is so much stuff in the Tao that's just fucking pure fantasy. That it's just stuff that Bruce Lee took notes on. He took cop- copious notes on everything. Sure, so sure. So if he saw you doing shit, he wrote it down. And then his notes yeah. were put together into a book. And people started doing this stuff. And uh, it had absolutely nothing to do with what Bruce Lee was doing. You know, if you want I mean, to know what Bruce Lee was doing, talk uh, to the guys that were there doing with him. I mean, I also take a lot of notes in the books. Like, if you look at any, especially the martial arts books that I read pretty regularly, I, I take lots of notes and stuff like that. And, and oftentimes, 
that's just kind of what I'm thinking about in that moment. You know what sure. I mean? And, and that is not necessarily something that's profound. It's right. not even something necessarily where I go like, oh, I'm going to integrate this. It's just kind of I find it helps me remember it better after I put the book away because I'm, I'm kind of actively engaged in reading the book as opposed to just kind of skimming it quickly. And so it's quite possible that, you know, 30, 40 years from now, somebody pulled, plucks a book off the shelves, but my shelves looks at some of the notes and then and thinks that some random thing that I wrote was like somehow important to me. And then, of course, you know, there's martial arts are rife with confirmation bias because you can take any kind of note that Bruce Lee wrote or I wrote or you wrote or anything like that. And if you were one of my students or Bruce Lee's students, you can find something where you go, ah, see, there he is doing it. And it may have nothing to do with it. And then suddenly there's this theory that this one random thing that Bruce Lee wrote about is 100% correlated to this one move that he used that showed in some book or whatever. And then there's an entire spin and body of knowledge that is created of purely from confirmation bias and and it might be a legit thought experiment it might actually be something interesting but oftentimes these are just kind of these are kind of dead ends that people do just just for the sake of their own confirmation it's it's, and you have it in wing chun all the time the people who call themselves quote-unquote wing chun researchers they they begin everything with the the conclusion already in mind and they just cherry pick the facts that are going to help them come to the conclusion of which they they've already come to before they did their research and it's extremely unscientific you, you got to see the notes section of my iPhone. I have so many, so much martial arts notes in there. It's crazy. I remember one time um, after training with uh, my Sifu, uh, he was getting ready to leave, and I'm quickly writing some stuff in my notes, typing it in so I don't forget. And he said, oh, what are you doing? I said, I'm just taking notes about something you said tonight, you know? <laughs> so he says, oh, do you mind if I look, look at your notes? So I said, oh, no, here. So I hand him my phone, and I see him scrolling through it and scrolling through it and reading. And then he says to me, he goes, so is this what you teach everybody? Is this what you're teaching your guys? I said, well, some of it. He goes, oh. I go, why? He goes, well, some of this is very, very good. And some of this is really, really bad. (laughs) (laughs) So I go, well, what's really bad? He goes, oh, no, I'm not going to tell you that part. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Cool. Well, hey, this was a lot of fun today. I think we actually had the idea to have one more topic, but I think we've already I think we've already gone over time in terms of. Uh, yeah, I think we'll save that. that topic for next uh, next week. Uh, Absolutely. Cool. Cool. When is this podcast hitting? Are you going to bring it out on Monday or Sunday? I'm trying right now. I'm aiming for Sunday. OK. All right. And then we have, I think, what, one more uh, one more episode for this season. And then. Right. And then uh, <laughs> everyone's a little bit mad because we. I'm not going to say we took a little break. Yeah, we, we missed a few weeks there with scheduling conflicts and whatnot. Again, you can always blame me and my schedule on these things. But uh, I think maybe what we'll do is maybe we won't take a big break between season two and season three just because we we, we, we have exhausted our breaks over the I last so. few weeks. <laughs> so we could go right into season three maybe after we finish season two. So. And one thing different about this episode, folks, is now it's going to be available for you to watch on YouTube. Awesome. Yes, yeah, so you guys can watch – how boring it actually is but you know what um maybe then in the future then we can be we, we can actually show some more things too because we'll be right. uh we'll also have a uh a visual format for that but we can't rely too heavily on that because a lot of people do actually just listen to us so right exactly uh, and we're gonna try and get alex to uh keep his shirts on 
Oh, damn it. That's right. Now that these things are being filmed, I'm going to have to actually wear something for these things. <laughs> if you're lucky, so will I. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Hey, man, this has been a lot of fun. Can't wait to do it again. And uh, we'll see you guys hopefully next week. See you next week, folks. Bye-bye.